Chapter Three of Our Homes and Company. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Our Homes and Company, being the remarkable adventures of Raffles Holmes, Esquire, detective and amateur cracksman by birth, by John Kendrick Bangs. Chapter Three. The Adventure of Mrs. Burlingame's Diamond Stomacher I had seen the marvellous creation very often at the opera, and in many ways resented it. Not that I was in the least degree a victim to envy, hatred, and malice towards those who are possessed of a superabundance of this world's good things, far from it. I rejoice in the great fortunes of earth because, with every dollar corralled by the superior energies of the multimillionaires, the fewer there are for other men to seek, and until we stop seeking dollars and turn our minds to other finer things, there will be no hope of peace and sweet contentment upon this little green ball we inhabit. My resentment of Mrs. Burlingame's diamond stomacher was not then based on envy of its possession, but merely upon the twofold nuisance which it created at the opera house, as the lady who wore it sat and listened to the strains of Wagner, Bizet, or Gounod, mixed in with the small talk of Reggie Stockson, Thomas de Coupon, and other lights of the social firmament. In the first place, it caused the people sitting about me in the high seats of the opera house to chatter about it and discuss its probable worth every time the lady made her appearance in it. And I had fled from the standee part of the house to the top gallery just to escape the talkers, and, if possible, to get my music straight without interruptions of any sort whatsoever on the side. In the second place, the confounded thing glittered so that, from where I sat, it was as dazzling as so many small mirrors flashing in the light of the sun. It seemed as if every electric light in the house found some kind of a refractor in the thousands of gems of which it was composed, and many of the brilliant light effects of the stage were dimmed in their luster by the persistent intrusion of Mrs. Burlingame's glory upon my line of vision. Hence it was that, when I picked up my morning paper and read in great flaring headlines on the front page that Mrs. Burlingame's diamond stomacher had been stolen from her at her aunt's cottage at Newport, I smiled broadly and slapped the breakfast table so hard in my satisfaction that even the shredded wheat biscuits flew up into the air and caught in the chandelier. Thank heaven for that, I said. Next season I shall be able to enjoy my opera undisturbed. I little thought, at that blissful moment, how closely indeed were my own fortunes to be connected with that wonderful specimen of the jeweler's handicraft. But an hour later I was made aware of the first link in the chain that, in a measure, bound me to it. Breakfast over, I went to my desk to put the finishing touches to a novel I had written the week before, when word came up on the telephone from below that a gentleman from Busybody's magazine wished to see me on an important matter of business. Tell him I'm already a subscriber, I called down, supposing the visitor to be merely an agent. I took the magazine and a set of Chaucer in a revolving bookcase from one of their agents last month and have paid my dollar. In a moment, another message came over the wire. The gentleman says he wants to see you about writing a couple of full-page sonnets for the Christmas number, the office man phoned up. Show him up, I replied instantly. Two minutes later, a rather handsome man, with a fine eye and a long, flowing gray beard, was ushered into my apartment. I am Mr. Stikes of Busybodies, Mr. Jenkins, he said, with a twinkle in his eye. We thought you might like to contribute to our Christmas issue. We want two sonnets, one on the old Christmas and the other on the new. We can't offer you more than a thousand dollars apiece for them, but... Something caught in my throat, but I managed to reply. I might shade my terms a trifle, since you want as many as two, I gurgled. And I assume you will pay on acceptance? Certainly, he said gravely. Could you let me have them, say, this afternoon? 
I turned away so that he would not see the expression of joy on my face, and then there came from behind me a deep chuckle and the observation in a familiar voice, You might throw in a couple of those Remsen coolers, too, while you're about it, Jenkins. I whirled about as if struck, and there, in place of the gray-bearded editor, stood Raffles Holmes. Boldly disguised, eh? he said, folding up his beard and putting it in his pocket. Yes, said I, ruefully, as I thought of the vanished two thousand. I think I preferred you in disguise, though, old man, I added. You won't when you hear what I've come for, said he. There's five thousand dollars apiece in this job for us. To what job do you refer? I asked. The Burlingame case, he replied. I suppose you read in the papers this morning how Mrs. Burlingame's diamond stomacher has turned up missing? Yes, said I, and I'm glad of it. You ought to be, said Holmes, since we'll put five thousand dollars in your pocket. You haven't heard yet that there is a reward of ten thousand dollars offered for its recovery. The public announcement has not yet been made, but it will be in tonight's papers, and we are the chaps that are going to get the reward. But how? I demanded. Leave that to me, said he. By the way, I wish you'd let me leave this suitcase of mine in your room for about ten days. It holds some important papers, and my shop has turned topsy-turvy just now with the painters. Very well, said I. I'll shove it under my bed. I took the suitcase, as Holmes had requested, and hid it away in my bedroom, immediately returning to the library, where he sat smoking one of my cigars as cool as a cucumber. There was something in his eye, however, that aroused my suspicion as soon as I entered. See here, Holmes, said I. I can't afford to be mixed up in any shady business like this, you know. Have you got that stomacher? No, I haven't, said he. Honor bright, I haven't. I eyed him narrowly. I think I understand the evasion, I went on. You haven't got it because I have got it. It's in that suitcase under my bed. Open it and see for yourself, said he. It isn't there. But you know where it is, I demanded. How else could I be sure of that $10,000 reward, he asked. Where is it, I demanded. It, er, um, it, it isn't located yet. That is, not finally, said he. And it won't be for ten days. Ten days from now, Mrs. Burlingame will find it herself, and will divvy on the reward, my boy, and not a trace of dishonesty in the whole business. And with that, Raffles Holmes filled his pockets with cigars from my stores, and, bidding me be patient, went his way. The effect of his visit upon my nerves was such that any more work that day was impossible. The fear of possible complications to follow upset me wholly, and despite his assurance that the suitcase was innocent of surreptitiously acquired stomachers, I could not rid my mind of the suspicion that he made of my apartment a fence for the concealment of his booty. The more I thought of it, the more I was inclined to send for him and request him to remove the bag forthwith, and yet, if it should so happen that he had spoken the truth, I should by that act endanger our friendship, and possibly break the pact which bade fair to be profitable. Suddenly I remembered his injunction to me to look for myself and see if the stomacher really was concealed there, and I hastened to act upon it. It might have been pure bluff on his part, and I resolved not to be bluffed. The case opened easily, and the moment I glanced into it my suspicions were allayed. It contained nothing but bundle after bundle of papers tied together with pink and blue ribbons, one or two old derogotypes, some locks of hair, and an ivory miniature of Raffles Holmes himself as an infant. Not a stomacher, diamond or otherwise, was hid in the case nor any other suspicious object, and I closed it with a sheepish feeling of shame for having intruded upon the sacred correspondence and relics of the happy childhood days of my new friend. That night, as Holmes had asserted, a reward of $10,000 was offered for the recovery of the Burlingame stomacher, and the newspapers for the next ten days were full of the theories of detectives of all sorts, amateur, professional, and reportorial. Central office was after it in one place, others sought it elsewhere. 
The editor of one New York paper printed a full list of the names of the guests at Mrs. Burlingame's dinner the night the treasure was stolen, and, whether they ever discovered it for themselves or not, several bearers of highly honored social names were shadowed by reporters and others everywhere they went for the next week. At the end of five days, the reward was increased to $20,000, and then Raffles Holmes' name began to appear in connection with the case. Mrs. Burlingame herself had sent for him, and, without taking it out of the hands of others, had personally requested him to look into the manor. He had gone to Newport and looked the situation over there. He had questioned all the servants in her two establishments at Newport and New York, and had finally assured the lady that, on the following Tuesday morning, he would advise her by wire of the definite location of her missing jewel. During all this time, Holmes had not communicated with me at all, and I began to fear that, offended by my behavior at our last meeting, he had cut me out of his calculations altogether, when, just as I was about to retire on Sunday night, he reappeared as he had first come to me, stealing up the fire escape, and this time he wore a mask and carried unquestionably a burglar's kit and a dark lantern. He started nervously as he caught sight of me reaching up to turn off the light in the library. "'Hang it all, Jenkins!' he cried. "'I thought you'd gone off to the country for the weekend.' No, said I. I meant to go, but I was detained. What's up? Oh, well, I may as well out with it, he answered. I didn't want you to know, but, well, watch and see. With this, Raffles Holmes strode directly to my bookcase, removed my extra illustrated set of Fox's Books of Barters, in five volumes, from the shelves, and there, resting upon the shelf behind it, glittered nothing less than the missing stomacher. Good heavens, Holmes, I said. What does this mean? How did those diamonds get here? I put them there myself while you were shoving my suitcase under your bed the other night, said he. You told me you didn't have them, I said reproachfully. I didn't when I spoke. You had them, said he. You told me they had not been finally located, I persisted angrily. I told you the truth. They were only temporarily located, he answered. I'm going to locate them definitely tonight, and tomorrow Mrs. Burlingame will find them. Where? I cried. In her own safe at her New York house, said Raffles Holmes. You... Yes, I took them from Newport myself. Very easy job, too, said Raffles Holmes. Ever since I saw them at the opera last winter, I have had this in mind. So, when Mrs. Burlingame gave her dinner, I served as an extra butler from Delmonico's, drugged the regular chap up on the train on his way up from New York, took his clothes, and went in his place. That night I rifled the Newport safe of the stomacher, and the next day brought it here. Tonight I take it to the Burlingame house on Fifth Avenue, secure entrance through a basement door, to which, in my capacity of detective, I have obtained the key, and, while the caretakers sleep, Mrs. Burlingame's diamond stomacher will be placed in the safe on the first floor back. Tomorrow I shall send Mrs. Burlingame this message. Have you looked in your New York safe? Signed, Raffles Holmes, he continued. She will come to town by the first train to find out what I mean. We will go to her residence. She will open the safe and $20,000 for us. By Jove! Holmes, you are a wonder, said I. This stomacher is worth $250,000 at the least, I added, as I took the creation in my hand. Pot of money, that. Yes, said he, with a sigh, taking the stomacher from me and fondling it. The raffles in me tells me that, but the Sherlock Holmes in my veins. Well, I just can't keep it, Jenkins, if that's what you mean. I blushed at the intimation conveyed by his words and was silent, and Holmes, gathering up his tools and stuffing the stomacher in the capricious bosom of his coat, bade me au revoir and went out into the night. The rest is already public property. All the morning papers were full of the strange recovery of the Burlingame stomacher the following Tuesday morning, and the name of Raffles Holmes was in every mouth. That night, the very essence of promptitude, Holmes appeared at my apartment and handed me a check for my share in the transaction. What does this mean? I cried as I took in the figures. Twelve thousand five hundred? I thought it was only to be ten thousand dollars. 
It was, said Raffles Holmes, but Mrs. Burlingame was so overjoyed at getting the thing back she made the check for $25,000 instead of for $20,000. You're the soul of honor, Holmes, I murmured. On my father's side, he said with a sigh, on my mother's side it comes hard. And Mrs. Burlingame? Didn't she ask you how you ferreted the thing out, I asked? Yes, said Holmes, but I told her that that was my secret, and that my secret was my profession, and that my profession was my bread and butter. But she must have asked you who was the guilty person, I persisted. Yes, said Holmes, she did. And I took her for a little gallop through the social register in search of the guilty party. That got on her nerves, so that when it came down to an absolute question of identity, she begged me to forget it. I am dull of comprehension, Raffles, said I. Tell me exactly what you mean. Simply this, said Raffles Holmes. The present 400 consists of about 19,250 people, of whom about 25% go to Newport at one time or another. Say, 4,812. Of these 4,812, about 10% are eligible for invitations to the Burlingame dinners, or 480. Now, whom of the 480 possibilities having access to the Burlingame cottage would we naturally suspect? Surely only those who were in the vicinity the night of the robbery. By a process of elimination, we narrowed them down to just 10 persons exclusive of Mrs. Burlingame herself and her husband, old Billy Burlingame. We took the lot and canvassed them. There were Mr. and Mrs. Wilmington Bodfish, they left early, and the stomacher was known to be in the safe at the time of their departure. There were Bishop and Mrs. Pounderby, neither of whom would be at all likely to come back in the dead of night and remove property that did not belong to them. There were Senator and Mrs. Jorrocks. The Senator is after bigger game than diamond stomachers, and Mrs. Jorrocks is known to be honest. There were Harry Gadsby and his wife. Harry doesn't know enough to go in when it rains, and is too timid to call even his own soul his own, so he couldn't have taken it, and Mrs. Gadsby is long on stomachers, having at least five and therefore would not be likely to try to land a sixth by questionable means. In that way we practically cleared eight possibilities of suspicion. Now, Mrs. Burlingame, said I, that leaves four persons still in the ring. Yourself, your husband, your daughter, and the Duke of Snellyow, your daughter, and the newly acquired fiancé, in whose honor the dinner was given. Of these four, you are naturally yourself the first to be acquitted. Your husband comes next, and is not likely to be the guilty party, because if he wants a diamond stomacher, he needn't steal it, having money enough to buy a dozen of them if he wishes. The third, your daughter, should be regarded as equally innocent, because if she was really desirous of possessing the jewel, all she had to do was to borrow it from you. That brings us down to the Duke of... Hush, I beg of you, Mr. Raffles Holmes, she cried in great agitation. Not another word, I beseech you. If anyone should overhear us, the subject, after all, is an unprofitable one, and I'd... I'd... I'd rather drop it, and it... it... It, er, it has just occurred to me that I er, um, uh, possibly I... Put the jewel in the safe yourself, I suggested. Yes, said Mrs. Burlingame, with a grateful glance and a tremendous sigh of relief. Now that I think of it, Mr. Raffles Holmes, that was it. I, er, I remember perfectly that, um, that I didn't wear it at all the night of my little dinner, and that I did leave it behind me when I left town. Humph, said I, that may account for the extra five thousand dollars. It may, said Raffles Holmes, pursing his lips into a deprecatory smile. End of chapter 3. Recording by Todd.